0: to be here with you. I love being at Liberty Hill. I drove up and the building looks beautimus, So amazing. So pretty. You guys are doing such a great job. I'm so proud of you. It's so great to see you. So grateful to be with you today. Uh, This series uh, about worship and wonder, I'll just start with a brief story. I I was never... um, I, I lived in Colorado for many years, and so I was never really exposed to Texas football. <laughs> it's a level that I don't—I never really understood. Um, yeah, Texas football has a, its own like mindset, its own—it it is in many ways a religion. <laughs> and I remember the first time, several years ago, somebody invited me to go to a UT football game. Have you ever been? I had never been to anything like that in my life. And it was crazy. There, did you know there are songs they all sing together? Yeah, there are expletives in it. It's awesome. Some of you are like, well, there are? They sing these songs together. They stand for four hours. People. I am never apologizing for how long you have to stand in church again. There is this connection. People stand. People talk about what just happened. People, strangers that you don't know are high-fiving and hugging when they're winning. What are they doing when they're losing? Sitting in quiet. As we think about worship, sitting in quiet isn't necessarily a bad thing because meditation is powerful. There, is some, there are some really important verses that say, be still and know that I am God, right? But I don't think we act like we're winning enough. We don't act like we're winning enough. Our joy doesn't come out enough in worship. And I want to talk about a way that that happens today. Today's talk is about sacrificial worship. We're talking about acting like you're winning even though you feel like you're not. And this series, you know, as we talk about recapturing the wonder of God, there's something about worship that is costly. Everybody say that word, costly. There's an interesting verse about cost in 2 Samuel. King David has messed up and he is repentant and, um, but God's judgment has come, and as he's trying to repent, he is instructed to give a sacrificial offering, and he goes to this really great guy's house named Ariuna. And he, 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 Ariuna says, go ahead, take the animals that I have, um, take the altar that I've got, um, I'll give it to you, you're the king, um, take it, take it and do what you want with it. 2 like Samuel 24, 24 says, But the king replied to Ariona, No, I insist on paying you for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. Amen. So David bought the threshing floor. He bought the whole thing. And the oxen and paid 50 shekels of silver for them. Now, I wonder if our wealthy consumer culture, if we we tend to offer God things that don't cost us very much. Jesus, I give my life to you and I'll hit up Sunday every once in a while, but the week is mine. I'm a Christian. I go to church. I read my Bible about every other month and I'm really into it. I love Jesus, but there's no change on the inside sometimes people end up living as they please you treat people the way you want to you justify it now remember you know last year we went through this series called surrender solution do you remember this every series this year is going to have a connection to the surrender solution the sur- what we're going is we're digging down deep, and what we see in the surrender solution, I don't know if you remember the picture of it. Most of you probably don't. I don't. Do we have that picture? Look at that. Everywhere I go, they have it. So look at the middle. The centerpiece of everything about surrender has to start with love and obedience And you could, you could, so that's what this series is. We're talking about love and obedience because love plus obedience actually equals worship. Love plus obedience equals worship. And if you, and if you do that by faith, what happens, what comes out is sacrificial worship. And so, one of the best stories that are in the Old Testament is in Genesis 22. If you want to go there with me, Genesis 22, and we're going to plunge into it. You know, we understand that sacrifice is a chief theme in the Old Testament, right? It was part of the temple worship of God's people. They're offering sheep and goats and cattle and birds, and uh, it has to do with the spilling of blood. It's really actually quite messy. It's quite nasty. If you've ever, um, well, I don't want to go there, um, We'll we'll talk about that later. God has to deal, here's, here's the problem. God has to deal with evil in the world. And so he develops this sacrificial system quite early on in the scriptures. And the thing about the sacrificial system, it is messy and it takes a lot of time. It's a lot of cleanup. All you hunters, you know how it works, right? There's blood everywhere when you open up an animal. And there's something about this... Something about this dynamic, this foreshadowing of what was to come with the Messiah, with Jesus himself spilling his blood, this sacrificial idea. And this idea, God is dealing with evil in the world. Now, follow me here, because he's holy and just, but God is so good, he's going to get rid of evil and sin without destroying humanity. Okay, go with me for a second. So he institutes this sacrificial system to his people. Israel, the sacrifice becomes the substitute for evil and for sin and wickedness, and this is called atonement. Everybody say it. It's a nice religious word, atonement. Atone, here's what it means, to cover, to wipe away, to ransom by a substitute, And it's a way to deal with the power of evil without destroying the people he loves. And we see this idea very early on in Genesis 4 with Cain and Abel. He's offering a sacrifice. Abel is. Cain offers his own sacrifice. It's not quite what God wanted. Uh, The the word sacrifice happens for the first time in Genesis 8. And Noah is, is offering a sacrifice. And think about this for a second. Noah's offering this sacrifice. Those of you who know who Noah is, he built an ark and it actually, uh, the word flooded, and it floated around for a long time, and then it came down to rest on a little mountain, and then Noah and his family came out. They're the only ones left because God was trying to push the reset button because wickedness and sin was destroying everybody and everything. And Noah steps out of the boat and then sacrifices one of the animals. Think about this for a second. There was a limited number of animals. He didn't, have, he didn't have all these animals. He had to actually give up something that he was going to have to rely on to populate the earth again. So we see this. If there, the first sacrifice in the Bible, actually you'll miss it if you're not careful, it's in Genesis 3. It's the first story in the Bible. Verse, uh, Genesis 3.21 says, And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins for Adam and his wife. This happened after they disobeyed God, took from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and and did what they wanted to, took life on their own terms, and then they hid, they were afraid, they were ashamed, they covered themselves with leaves, and then God makes a sacrifice for them. Sacrificial worship is a primary biblical concept, and there is no better story than this Genesis 22 story of Abraham and Abraham. And Isaac. And this is one of those passages where people try to prove that God is unjust and why would God ask for a child sacrifice, which is abhorrent, it is terrible, it's the worst thing you can imagine. God thinks so as well. I think it's clear as you read the entirety of the Bible. Abraham would not have been, uh, it would not have been an unknown concept because the peoples around him were already engaged in this kind of activity to their own God. But God asks Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac, who was the son of the promise, to really in the same way Noah was populating the earth, God told Abraham he was going to populate his family like the stars in the sky. So it would have been confusing to Abraham on one one side, but it would have been logical culturally. And the story actually points us to God's sacrificial love for us. So here, let's start into it. Genesis 22, verse one says, sometime later, God tested Abraham's faith. Abraham, God called. Yes, he replied, "Ah, here I am. Take your son, your only son. Yes, Isaac, whom you love so much, And go to the land of Moriah. Go and sacrifice him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains, which I will show you. And the next morning, Abraham got up early. He saddled his donkey and took two of his servants with him, along with his son Isaac. Then he chopped wood for a fire for a burnt offering and set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day of their journey, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Stay here with the donkey, Abraham told the servants. The boy and I will travel a little farther. Check this out. Check this out. We will worship there. And then we will come right back. So God is testing Abraham's faith. Abraham knows God. His plan is to bless the entire world through him. And now God is testing Abraham to see if he's the kind of man that he can use and I want you to realize it is possible for God to test your faith and my faith, too. It's like you might think of it. That's not, that's not right. That's not fair. Something's wrong with that. But we're used to unhealthy, toxic testing. That's what, that's what, that's what we live in. People that test us inappropriately. I'm going to see if you're cheating. Give me your phone. <laughs> that's, a, that's like the motive is distrust. But a good teacher, everybody say a good teacher. A good teacher tests students to see if they're growing in mastery of the subject, to see where they are. What determines a good or bad test? The motive of the teacher. The test is good. Abraham gets the worst news possible. Take your son, sacrifice him. Remember, they couldn't get pregnant. Remember, it was a long... You you guys, if you don't know the story, Abraham and Sarah had been through a long journey of expecting God to bless him, and it took forever, and finally he was there. And then once he's there, God asks Abraham to give him back. So I want to highlight a few ideas about this passage. Number one, sacrificial worship begins with faith. Sacrificial worship begins with? Say it one more time. So God is testing Abraham's faith. This is the first time in the that the English word worship appears in the Bible. This is the first time this word appears in our English Bible, worship. In verse 5, worship is this important component of faith. It demonstrates what we believe. Worship is the articulation of who we believe God is and what he says about us and what he's going to do in the world. That's why worship should be joyful. That's because that's why worship should be a little bit loud, right? Like, like there's an articulation, a declaration of who He is. Hebrews eleven six says, and without faith, it is impossible to please God. I love this. Think about this. So many ways, you, So many things you can do to please God, but you can do all of them without this one thing and it won't matter faith. Did you know you can raise your kids with faith or you can raise them in fear? Did you know you can do your job with faith or you can do your job in your own willpower? You know, you can apply faith to anything in your life and it changes the motivation of it. It becomes for God, not for you. But so many Christians, they only apply their faith in this room. Your faith has to go outside here. It has a, your faith, I mean, listen, raising children, I have five of them. It is not for the faint of heart. It is not for cowards. It's hard. You don't know what's going to happen to them. You don't know what they're going to decide. You can fill them with all the good stuff you want, and they still get to make their own decisions. I think we should just have a deal where they just do what we tell them the rest of their life. You know what I'm saying? This is the hard thing about parenting adult children is you, you, you get used to telling them what to do, and then you can't wean yourself off of it. And without faith, it is impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists. Anyway, we come to him. We come to him, that's worship, and we must believe that he is who he says he is and that he rewards those who earnestly, diligently seek him. This is one of the most important worship scriptures that there is in the Bible. Because when you come to him or when you worship, you have to believe these things. You have to grab a hold of it and you have to diligently and earnestly and deeply seek him. It's not a feeling to be experienced. It is a conviction to be expressed. Are you with me? It's not about feelings. It's about convictions. And that's what Abraham does. You notice what he did. God speaks to him and says, okay, go do this. The Bible says the next morning. The next morning he gets up, he chops the wood, he gets going. This is the very definition He doesn't know what will happen or how God will work this out, but he's chosen to obey him immediately. He's willing to take the first steps without knowing the answer. This is the very definition of faith, taking a step without knowing where it will lead. So often we want to know what's going to happen, how it will turn out. We want assurances. God, give me assurances. He's not willing to do that. Because that would eliminate faith. His assurance is that it'll all turn out for your good. But we don't believe him. We're like, there's no way this, whatever I'm going through right now, there's no way this is going to turn out for good. Let's pick up the story in verse 6. So Abraham placed the wood and the burnt offering on Isaac's shoulders. While he himself carried fire and a knife, as two of them walked on together, Isaac turned to Abraham and said, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. We have the fire and the wood, the boy said, but where is the sheep for the burnt offering? Smart kid. <laughs> God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. I love this. I love this. Abraham answered, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering. And they both walked on together. When they arrived at the place where God had told them to go, Abraham built an altar and arranged the wood on it. Then he tied his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. And Abraham picked up the knife to kill his son as a sacrifice. It's just hard to wrap your mind around. But here's the second thing you've got to understand is faith-filled worship always becomes sacrificial. It must. Faith-filled worship always becomes sacrificial. Abraham believed God was in charge of the whole process, not just the part he could see. Isaac is in on this as well. Then this is, this is the interesting thing. Isaac's old enough to know there's something missing here. He's, he's probably carrying the wood. He's big enough. Most Bible scholars think he's somewhere around 14 or 15 years old. He's big enough to resist. He participates... All Bible scholars see Isaac as a foreshadowing of Jesus who is willing to lay his life down. doesn't make it any easier on Abraham. And so he lays down willingly. Abraham utters these words, God will provide a sheep for the burnt offering, my son. He says it. He articulates it. Now listen, I don't know if that was a hopeful thought <laughs> or maybe it was a, like a, like some kind of desperate prayer that he just decided to verbalize. But he did not know what was coming. And this is how faith works. This is how sacrifice works. Abraham may have thought God would resurrect Isaac or provide in some other way. This is what the writer of Hebrews says. Are you guys still with me? The writer of Hebrews in Hebrews 11, 17 says, It was by faith that Abraham offered Isaac as a sacrifice when God was testing him. Abraham, who had received God's promises, was ready to sacrifice his only son, Isaac, even though God had told him, Isaac is the son through whom your descendants will be counted. Abraham reasoned that if Isaac died, God was able to bring him back to life again. And in a sense... Abraham did receive his son back from the dead. I think it's a misnomer that faith-filled people can't be reasoned. Abraham reasoned that God could do anything. He reasoned that if he's the God who's already done all these things in his life, That he was able to do anything, including resurrect Isaac from the dead. The problem with our reasoning is we often leave God out of it instead of including him in it. Listen, now sacrificial worship is faith in God alone and his ability to fix any problem. Heal any disease, provide for any need, restore any relationship, and even raise someone from the dead. Amen? Sacrifice is the purest expression of worship because it is the declaration of God's love and His sovereignty. That He's in charge of the whole thing. That we can't see it, but we know. And listen, biblical worship cannot be fully expressed without sacrifice because it's only in sacrifice that we choose to trust God... (laughs) Completely. It's all his. You won't be able to avoid it. God will lead you there. That's why, that's what Abraham does all the way to the split second before he plunges the knife into Isaac. Look at verse 11. He says, at that moment, the angel of the Lord God called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. (laughs) And I can imagine Abraham going, what took you so long? (laughs) Do you ever feel that way? It's like all the way to this right here? What are you doing? Yes, Abraham replied, here I am. You can see me. Don't lay a hand on the boy, the angel said. Do not hurt him in any way, for now I know that you truly fear God. You have not withheld from me even your son, your only son. Then Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught by its horns in a thicket. So he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering In place of his son, Abraham named the place Yahweh, Yira, which means the Lord will provide. To this day, people still use the name as a proverb. On the mountain of the Lord, it will be provided. God provides exactly what Abraham had said he would. Is that a coincidence? I don't think so. I mean, it wasn't a sheep, it was a ram, so he was off a little bit. It's okay to be off a little bit. I I think we have to see everything we experience through the eyes of faith. And and just as it is to Abraham, we always wanted to hurry up. We always wanted to change in our timeline. But sacrificial worship doesn't insist on our timeline. Sacrificial worship is the the declaration of the wonder of God's character before we see it played out. It's It's the beauty of God who can create good things out of bad things. The wonder of trusting that God is in charge because he knows your name. Are you guys still with me? Now, this is the really powerful part of the story. Number three, sacrificial worship releases God's blessing and provision. Sacrificial worship always releases God's blessing and provision. Abraham's act of obeying, immediately verbalizing his faith and his ultimate follow-through. Everybody say follow-through. Revealed something too often we just don't get. And here it is. You can write it down if you want to. Sacrifice is the seedbed. Where worship blooms and yields the fruit of provision. Sacrifice is the seedbed where worship begins to bloom and then ultimately yields the fruit of provision. Let's finish the story. Verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called again to Abraham from heaven. This is what the Lord says, because you have obeyed me and have not withheld even your son, your only son. I swear by my own name that I will certainly bless you. I will multiply your descendants beyond number like the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your descendants will conquer the cities of their enemies and, their, though your, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Here's what God essentially says, and you got to get this. God essentially says, you have withheld nothing from me, so I will withhold nothing from you. You guys, we hang on too tight. We hold on to what we got. We got to control it. We got to make it happen. We don't realize that the sacrifice of letting go is what unleashes God's great provision of what we could never imagine. Which is why Paul says these words in Romans 12.1. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living what? Living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of the world, but be tr- What does it say? Transformed by the renewing of your mind Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is His good, pleasing, and per- perfect will With everything God has done for us in view The Apostle Paul says Present your bodies, offer your bodies as living sacrifice The problem, <laughs> problem is when you're in Old Testament It's a dead sacrifice There's no getting up off the altar The problem with the living sacrifice is you're alive You can keep deciding you want to get up off the altar Today, would you decide that you're not going to get up off the altar? Today, as we worship, would you decide? Would you decide that you're going to be the sacrifice that God wants? (music)